Yo, yo, welcome to Crypto 101, the average consumer's guide to cryptocurrency. This is Matthew Aaron. And today we have an amazing show. We have the most popular crypto portfolio tracking apps CEO, Mr. Edward Mancata of Blockfolio, an app that went from 8,000 downloads a month to millions. And we're going to tell you about how that app grew, the origin story of the app, the operations, and some amazing details that I can't believe was shared with us on Crypto 101. And we get to know about Edward and his history, his life, and his other ventures as well. But before we get into that conversation, please, 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 wherever you listen to your podcast, subscribe, leave us a rating, a comment, and share with your friends and family so they can get their hands on content to learn about blockchain and cryptocurrency. And before we get into the show, I also want to say thank you to LinkedIn for sponsoring this episode. And like always, this is not financial advice, legal advice, trading advice, or personal advice. Now, without further ado, here's Blockfolio 101. We'll see you after the show. Edward Mancada, co-founder and CEO of Blockfolio. Welcome to Crypto 101, sir. Thanks for having me. Super excited to be here. Yeah, man. We're super excited to have you here as well. What we want to do today is, like always, we want to get to know you. Who are you? Like, who are these people in the space that are helping drive it forward? Everybody has their piece. You know, there's podcasters, there's people who make exchanges, there's people who do mining. But you have the most popular crypto portfolio app out there right now. And we want to know about who is the person that made that. We want to know about the app. We want to know about the future of the app. And, well, I want to know about how you started this business in the space. And then maybe a little bit about general questions. What do you think, sir? Sounds good to me. Always happy to share. Awesome. Awesome. Sir, tell us a little bit about yourself. <laughs> All right. My name is Edward Mancata. I am Bolivian by nationality, I guess. I'm technically, I was born in the U.S., but my both my parents are Bolivian. So I guess I kind of identify with that. I grew up in Oklahoma, Tulsa, Oklahoma, of all places. I was always kind of a rebellious kid, loved uh, skateboarding, loved things that were a bit counterculture. Came out to California to study engineering at UC Berkeley. Stuck around. Actually, after uh, UC Berkeley, I helped start up a music internet company in the Bay Area. And then uh, a lot of people don't know this about me. I played poker professionally from 2001 until about 2010, I would say. And then, uh, you know, found my way into Bitcoin a little bit after that. Found a lot of the other altcoins and the other alternative cryptocurrencies after that. Started uh, investing in them. This is probably in uh, late 2013, early 2014, and uh, been in the crypto space ever since. Right on, right on. So I think one more thing that you didn't touch on here, but we talked about offline. I don't know if we want to get into this now, but with investing into uh, altcoins and bitcoins and, and stuff like that, you were also a co-founder of Darkcoin, which became Dash. Is that correct? I'm not a co-founder of Darkcoin. No. Uh, just to, to clarify on that, it's like I'm one of the founding board members of the Dash Foundation. Okay, I'm, right? sorry, I'm sorry about that. Yeah, so basically what happened was by... It was around maybe March or April of 2014. I came across Darkcoin, uh, you know, before it rebranded to Dash, and uh, which is a great rebrand, by uh, the way. Darkcoin just sounds horrible. <laughs> sounds evil. <yeah. laughs> oh, you, if you only knew all the discussions we had behind the scenes and how how difficult it was to get everyone behind that rebrand back then, it didn't. It wasn't as obvious. Uh, but anyway, so yeah, so uh, me and about four friends invested a lot into to Darkcoin. Um, it's crazy, man. It was like the price I think was probably 72 cents at the time. And so we were just trying to figure out how to, uh, how to make this thing 
worked something. And, and so these protocols were so let, uh, they were adoption of them was so much less back then. Uh, the organizations that were behind them weren't as they were very poorly funded. Uh, it was just a completely different ballgame than it is today. When you see these projects that get, you know, 20, 30 million dollars to launch a protocol, it's, it's totally different. However, uh, I really believed in Anon cryptocurrencies back then. I'd heard stories, rumors about bit license coming on the horizon. And I was like, wow, this is going to like send a lot of the early libertarian adopters of Bitcoin. Uh, like regulation is coming. It's going to send them over to Anon cryptocurrencies maybe. And so uh, in the early, I want to say it was maybe by the summer of 2014, I knew Giancarlo. I had a loose acquaintanceship with him. Uh, he's uh, he's over at Bitfinex. And uh, I approached him. I said, listen, I think I'd like to talk to you about getting Darkwood listed on your platform. And keep in mind, this is before I ever knew anybody on the Darkcoin team. My natural instinct was like, how do you make this like more adopted, get it more exposure, like really advance it? Our approach wasn't like, hey, let's just put in money and let everybody else do the work. I was like, let's see what we can do with it, right? Mm-hmm. I think if you look at kind of my career in crypto, that sort of ended up sort of being my approach. <laughs> but anyway, so we got it listed on Bitfinex. And then after that, I approached Evan Duffield, the core developer of Darkcoin, on Bitcoin talk and I just asked, I was like, how can I help you out? Like, uh, I want to figure out how to like, you know, make this thing, you know, get it, get it to grow bigger, get more adoption, you know, hopefully go up in value. And Evan, Evan responded saying, you know, we need developers, you know, I need, I need a lot of developer talent to really build out uh, Darkcoin into this, uh, to build out the infrastructure and build out this ecosystem the way it needs to be. And so uh, that's how we started up the foundation. I, I recommended to him, I was like, let's start up a foundation. You know, there's the Bitcoin Foundation. They get a lot of money through donations. Let's see if we can do the same thing with Darkcoin. So we started up the Darkcoin Foundation. That's how I became a founding board member. And uh, unfortunately, donations didn't really come in like we'd hoped. Mm-hmm. So we came up with other solutions later on like how to build out the infrastructure. But uh, long story short, that's how I came to be involved in, in Darkcoin in the early days. Right on, right on. So you're investing in cryptocurrency. You have Bitcoin. We know you have some dark coin converted to Dash. Very good move. Very good move. And some other altcoins coming up here. And then I, I assume what happened is you probably hadn't had to f- find a way to track all of these investments you made. And you were probably using an Excel sheet and you said, there has to be an easier way. And now this is yeah. me assuming. What's yeah, the story? So let, let, me, let me tell you a little bit like about the landscape back then. Okay. Like, so all these... Especially, I think this will probably be pretty interesting for like the new guys that are around now. Back then, I mean, there was probably maybe between 150 to 200 cryptocurrencies or blockchain-based assets around that time, right? And they just started kind of erupting in 2014. I would even say maybe in 2013, there's like 100. But the thing about it was that all the portfolio tracking apps in 2014 were, well, all of them except for maybe like two or three, they were all Bitcoin only. Like you just go check Bitcoin prices, you can input your like your Bitcoin position, right? right? And uh, the two or three that had other cryptocurrencies might have had like at most like a dozen of them that you could track, right? Mm-hmm. So no, there was no there was no portfolio tracking app out at that time that had all cryptocurrencies across all exchanges, and so that was pretty much it. Like me and my two co-founders or three co-founders actually, one of them left a little early though. We were investing across like a number of cryptocurrencies that some of these apps didn't support. And we were just like, wow, we should really create an app for ourselves that could track all cryptocurrencies across all exchanges. And that was kind of that was sort of our thing like that we wanted to do in the beginning. And we wanted to be like, you know, the other thing, too, was like we want to be able to open up the app. And within a split second, you get to see what your total portfolio balance is. 
I would say those were the three primary things. So when you were doing this, I mean, what was your goal with, with that? Just for personal use? Or what, did you actually have a plan to make a business and a company out of it? I think back then we all realized that there was a big promising future in blockchain, mm-hmm. right? Like we understood that blockchains could alter how databases interacted. So we had this kind of feeling that it was going to impact every industry on the planet. And we knew that private blockchains weren't trustless, so there were going to be public blockchains that people wanted to see. And we felt we, we kind of envisioned this future that there were going to be tens of thousands of public blockchain assets that people wanted to track. So that was that was like a belief that was always like in the back of our head, right? So I can't say we were like, hey, we're going to like start this and it's going to be a huge business. We never even thought about it that way. We just said, hey, we're going to build this for ourselves. And, and sort of a backup, an, a nice little kind of backstop is the fact that we really believe that there's going to be a lot more of these in the future, right? Mm-hmm. And at least if we do it, let's do it in a professional way, right? So that if if we are right about this like wave that comes in, then uh, uh, a lot of other people will uh, hopefully use it too, and then maybe we, we turn you know we turn it into something, right? So yeah, that was that was kind of like the, the in the in the beginning, we were just we were really just trying to build something for ourselves. I'd say that was really really pretty nice. When was that switch? When was that switch where you said, hey, there's actually other people using this? Uh, maybe we have a thing here. Is it or was was there that <laughs> moment? That was 2017 where we're like, uh, holy shit. <laughs> uh, there's a lot of people downloading our app. Uh, January 2017, we had roughly uh, 10,000, no, it was 8,000 monthly active users, eight or 10,000. I can't remember exactly, right? Mm-hmm. And keep in mind, like, we never spent any advertisement on Blockfolio. Well, actually, I take it back. We spent $300 the first two months that we launched it back in, in uh, 2015. <laughs> and that was all the money we've ever spent on paid user acquisition ever mm-hmm. for Blockfolio so far. And then all of a sudden that crazy wave of interest came in in 2017, right? And we were the only professional game in town and we got we picked up a massive amount of market share then. We went from like I said roughly 10,000 monthly active users in January 2017 to 2.2 million monthly active users in January 2018. <laughs> what? And and we spent nothing on ads. And then next I think the time where things really started getting serious is like the very first I mean this is you know, it was an unfortunate thing we went through, but there, we had we had server outages. I think it was in May of uh, 2017. I remember because me and uh, my head of business development at the time, Danny Horowitz, we were at Consensus in New York. We were so excited to go there. We like wanted to meet people and like we're you know we we're having so much fun with the app. And <laughs> literally, we wake up that Monday to go to the conference. And as I wake up, we're like we look at the app and it's like not open enough. We're like, oh my god, our servers are on fire. Right. You know, and it was uh, it was kind of a letdown. You know, I, I think maybe prior to that, we're like, maybe we can build a business out of this. We started seeing some growth. And then it, that's that's the whole reason why we decided to go out to consensus and try to like to see what was going on on the business side of uh, crypto and what where we might be able to take this app. Um, so when you had when you had uh, eight thousand downloads, um, eight to ten thousand downloads in January 2017, your servers, I assume, weren't that comprehensive or, or, or big or complex. So I don't know how you had it, but what were your servers? And then did you make a change once that May fiasco happened? So I didn't. You know, I'm not. I'm not a developer. Peter, my co-founder, was you know, the technical co-founder. He kind of was running everything, uh, deploying the servers and everything. But I can tell you this. Uh, I think our server costs were $200 a month back then. And uh, to give you an idea, our server costs today are over $100,000 a month. Holy shit. <laughs> so it's, uh, to, to give you, an, to give you a, an idea of like how things have grown. So, 
So, okay. Yeah. Now, the natural next question to this is how did you mentally deal with that growth? You, you, you had 8,000 downloads. And next thing you know, not only every influencer, every person that is in crypto is using your app. You have two million plus downloads a, a year later and you're spending $100,000 on servers. How did you cope as a person with that kind of money and that kind of growth? We didn't think about it, honestly. It was always like, uh, hey, we got to do this. We got to do this other thing. We got to do this other thing. Oh, this, these people just reached out to us. They want to invest money in us. Like all these different things were going on where it was just a whirlwind, right? And uh, next thing you know, we're like, oh, maybe we can run an ad on the platform. And uh, it's funny. We almost ran a marketing ad for Tezos. We, uh, we, we talked with Arthur and Kathleen Brightman. We were trying to see if we can come up a deal, a deal with them. You know, unfortunately, a deal never ended up happening with Tezos. And then, uh, you know, th- we were thinking about how, how do we monetize this app, right? And right. then, uh, then we, we ended up doing a deal with Status in June of 2017. Did another deal with Quantstamp in October of 2017. And then another deal with Lendroid. And so even those things kind of like, or like they sort of like, you know, you're just sitting in there in the office one day and you're like, what, what else can we do with this app? Like maybe promoting one of these uh ICOs is a decent idea, right? Right. And so, like, I would say, like, the four co-founders, they're all really great guys. Like, they're just solid dudes, right? And so, when even when we started exploring, like, you know, doing advertisements, the main thing for us is, like, we're not going like, to – we knew that a lot of these ICOs were going to be really kind of, like, shady, right? There was easy money piling into the market. Mm-hmm. And we were just, like, our big thing was, like, let's just try to find – let's try to find an ICO that – if Blockfolio never existed and we discovered this token, that we would invest our money in it anyways. Right. That was like the kind of the kind of idea. Like at least then, like we don't mind letting them have the opportunity to to kind of advertise through our platform. And uh, by no means were we trying. We never we never explicitly said that to anyone uh, at the time. Like we, we were not endorsing the investment. Mm-hmm. We were just saying, hey, you can pay us and have ad space the way that there's you know banner ads all over the internet. Right. But at the very least, like we wanted to have a good conscience about it. And we were like, let's make sure that this is something that we believe in at the very at the very minimum. Right. All these things kind of just like started happening. It's it's really a rush. It's like it's a combination of like you thinking of like, wow, I have this really interesting platform with a lot of users. What can we do with it? Coming up with ideas literally every day. How can we leverage our, our, our situation here? And at the same time, when you start getting that kind of growth. You know, this is something you might have experienced too, but like you start having a lot of people come to you and they're like presenting you with every opportunity you can think of, right? Even right. though most of them aren't that great. <laughs> but, and, and, and then your job as a CEO becomes really to say like no <laughs> to a lot of things, <laughs> right? It, it is interesting. You do have to say no. I, I guess my, my idea for that question wasn't about income, and but I, I understand how once things get going, you just have to keep going. But, Opening up your pocketbook to start spending that way, especially on just like one thing, $100,000, that's a hard thing for a lot of people to grasp. And they just feel, you know, if, if it ramped up from $200 to, you know, like you said, $100,000 in six months, it's like, whoa, I, I can't believe we're spending this kind of money. Is there really a future um, for, for what's, what's happening yeah, here? And that's part of the craziness, man. I mean, like if, if you don't really know what it's like until you go through it. Honestly, I've I've done a few startups in the past, never one that ramped up so fast. Mm-hmm. And you start kind of you know thinking ahead a lot. You know what's coming down the pipeline. What do we need to worry about, right? And for us, we started seeing the server bills go up, right? 
And actually, and I would I would say that this the server bills is what started making us realize like at different stages like we got to raise money. Like the first money that we raised was in it was probably around April of 2017. And well, actually, I take that back. We we sort of pooled together between some friends like forty five thousand dollars in the very early days back in 2014, and we ran the company off like forty five grand for two years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Three of us did it part time, and that was like our thing, right? And then in and in April. Our server bill started going up, and we're like, "Holy cow, man! This thing's taking off." But then we started, you know, you just and if it go this at this rate, and so we raised, I believe it was about three hundred thousand dollars. And our our technical co-founder Peter, who was at the time working part time on Blockfolio, and he had an engineering job uh, in Kentucky, decided to quit his job and move out. And uh, oh, actually, he originally quit his job and continued working from Kentucky. And then the user growth kept going crazy, and it was around October that we're like, wow, we should really just uh, talk to real venture capital firms, like guys that invest in startups like tech startups like this, and have seen this kind of growth. And we had some pretty strong relationships already in the ecosystem, guys that knew a lot of the people up in Silicon Valley. And we just got super fortunate, had two incredibly awesome uh venture funds that ended up investing in us. We raised $3 million towards the end of 2017. Uh, the seed round was led by Pathfinder, which is Founders Fund's kind of early stage investment vehicle. And Founders Fund is Peter Thiel's firm. And uh, you know Peter Thiel is the first professional investor in Facebook. Mm-hmm. So it was pretty, we were pretty kind of honored and excited to have uh, kind of a fund with that with that recognition to get behind us. And then DCM Ventures was another fund that they have a $3 billion in, in, in assets under management. We met with them and uh, and they they were both like, you know, the, the vast majority of the round. And then that's kind of like, you know, like you just you keep seeing your server bills go up and you're like, but you, and, and you kind of have to uh, simultaneously be hiring people, not only to kind of, you know, begin to level up your product, but also be thinking ahead like you, you can't stop thinking ahead. Like what's what's around the corner? Where do we need to go with this? You know, two or three years out. Like what is where's the ecosystem's going? And and try to build something that people are going to use. And so I think we've now that I think about it, it's funny I haven't really talked about this too much with people. But like now that I'm looking back on it, I'm like you're literally juggling eight different things at a time. Right, right. Making what yeah, was it? Like making mental calculations on things that you need to do and you know what's worth focusing on what's worth not focusing on so yeah what, what was it that you built i mean like we said the huge growth you had over the 2017 period what what did you build i mean and, and why was it attractive to people was it only because it was the first or only player in the game but i think it's probably more than that you had some features it- in there that really appealed to the crypto community yeah, so we were active traders, and I think that was part of it, right? Like we were we were avid users of our product. Like we knew what we wanted for ourselves. And so here was the thing. So like those portfolio tracking apps back in 2014, even those, I think a lot of them would like have some. They wouldn't take you to your to your port to your total portfolio balance within a split second. Sometimes you'd have to like go through a few clicks before you'd even get to like your portfolio page. The first page usually like it'd show up with like Bitcoin's price or something, right? And I don't know. We just had good intuition, I think. And we were like, you know what, man? Crypto's crazy. It goes up and down really wild. When somebody opens the app, they want to see their total portfolio value like in a split second, right? You combine that with like a massive bull market. And I described this, uh, you know, to somebody else before. It was like, it was literally like people would open the app and it was like pulling a slot machine wheel because we did that. 
right? And then that that swipe down thing was like the pull of the swap, uh, uh, like you know, forcing people to swipe down to refresh the balance was like the pull of the slot machine wheel. <laughs> and it was and, it, and and I honestly believe that like you know people are experiencing the same dopamine release when they when they were in a bull market when they open up Blockfolio that they do like if they go to a casino and like gamble. Absolutely. Right? And then like even our user flow, man, like there are a hundred plus portfolio tracking apps. And if you look at them, they all copied our user flow, right? Mm -hmm. Like I said, we were just kind of like, I think we had just had strong product instincts, I would say, which is kind of, you know, fortunate. You know, I don't think the three of us didn't have like this career in, uh, in product development prior. What, what, when you were monetizing, you said I was raising fun, you were raising funds. You uh, went to different uh, companies or ICOs to try to do banner ads. You know that's pretty normal. But another normal step would be to make it a paid app. But why didn't you turn it into a paid app? There's some backstory on this, probably as to like to tell, to to really share why, right? Which is, let me let me go back into uh, to like Darkcoin, and I think I got to share a little bit about Darkcoin to kind of really kind of to share with you like how my mindset is and like what kind of like my ethos is and kind of my approach to the ecosystem. Mm -hmm. So with, Dar with Darkcoin, like we had this protocol, we were like wanting to build it out. Like we really believe in the technology. We thought it was going to change the world. Right. And we wanted all as many people as possible to use Darkcoin, Right. And so the, what Darkcoin's really known for is what's called governance and treasury system. It was like the first fully functioning governance and treasury system in the ecosystem. It's like this voting platform coupled with a treasury. And now Decred has a similar one. Tezos ha has one, Pivx has one, Icon has one. Uh, a lot of protocols started kind of duplicating what what Darkcoin did, right? And it's basically you, you kind of like create a pool of money out of the mining rewards that can be used to advance the protocol, right? And it's a fair way to distribute like the cost of that to all the token holders. You know, I co-originated that idea at Darkcoin. It was me, uh, another guy named Richard Anderson, who's a friend of mine, who's a big Darkcoin holder, and Evan and uh, Fernando, who's the CMO over there. And uh, it basically, I would say that that entire kind of like concept came out of us. And it's really about advancing the protocol in a fair way, right? So that was always like kind of our approach to things. Like, how do we push the ecosystem? How do we advance things? How do we do, treat our users very fairly? Where it's like always users first. So, uh, you know, now you fast forward and now we're doing Blockfolio, right? And we're like, hey, we're going to do ICO ads, but, you know, we don't really want, we want to protect our users. We don't want any of these scammy ICOs to like, you know, get exposure to our users. And then even then I started realizing that like uh, we wanted to build this product that was free for everyone to use. It would be like user first and ecosystem first kind of philosophy. And we would figure out ways maybe to monetize it later, but we wanted to make sure we didn't know what it was at the time, but we wanted to make sure like kind of the thing was like, we wanted to make sure we weren't charging the end users coming into the space. There was two things I was kind of looking for. One is like, uh, we just wanted to create like this benevolent product, mm -hmm. right? And once you start charging the optics of your company and the narrative, it changes, mm -hmm. right? I mean, people see like, you know, you look at exchanges and like, you know what exchanges do, you know what the business is. It's just transaction fees, right? Right. Don't get me wrong. Exchanges are very valuable services for the ecosystem, right? But there's just a different narrative between exchanges and us. So I didn't know exactly where everything was going, but a lot of kind of what drives me is just intuition. And I was just like, you know what? It's always been a strong feeling of mine. I don't want, I don't want to charge the end user unless we absolutely have to. Let's find other ways to make money. But what, what's interesting, though, is that uh, if you also look at kind of like the track record that I have, like moving f you know, from the days in Darkcoin all the way through to today, 
or at least the people I get involved with, the projects we do, like it's in general, like we, I, I, I tend to get involved more with people who are like, we're trying to innovate and build things and push the ecosystem forward. I think at, at the bottom of it, it's really just that. Like, how do we get everybody to love crypto and to get excited about crypto and to use crypto? Like, that's the primary motivation, right? right? Uh, at Darkcoin, you know, we did the governance and treasury thing, and a bunch of people like started doing similar things and then we created blockfolio and there's like 100 portfolio tracking apps that all have similar flow and then eventually we have talked about it but we created signal and now there's like you know five signal competitor blockfolio signal competitors out there and so i think i think at the end of the day like you know i think we just keep trying to build things that we believe are great for people and are great for the ecosystem and now a word from our sponsor with the new year ahead it's time to set goals to make sure it will be a strong one for you and your business Making that perfect hire can help set up your team for success. But where do you find that person? You can post a job on job boards and hope the right person will apply. But why leave it up to chance when you can post your job where people go every day to make connections, grow their career, and discover job opportunities? LinkedIn. Most LinkedIn members aren't checking for jobs regularly, but 9 out of 10 LinkedIn members are open to and interested in new opportunities like yours. With most of the U.S. workforce on LinkedIn, posting on LinkedIn is the best way to get your job opportunity in front of more of the right people. People with the right skills and backgrounds for your role who are also already looking for something new. It's the best way to find a new person who will help you grow your business. And that's why a new hire is made every 8 seconds using LinkedIn. So find the right people for your business this year at linkedin.com slash crypto and get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash crypto to get $50 off your first job post. That's linkedin.com slash crypto. Terms and conditions apply. And now back to the show. Well, talk about so, those competitors a little bit. How do you plan to keep the market share? Or you, you okay? It's the most popular app by far. Um, I just read an article the other day that came out last month, and they were rating all the different portfolio apps. Uh, some of the top ones were like Delta, Crypto Compare, and they're comparing the different services that you have. Some have de- desktop services. Some you can plug in the API. Some like cross sync between devices, uh, so you can share your portfolio on your iPad and your phone and your computer and all these things. What plans do you have to keep your momentum in your company and the market share with all these people, you know, basically doing the five-year-olds playing soccer moment, uh, philosophy of, I always like to use that one is, is, you know, it's like five-year-olds playing soccer. Uh, one person kicks the ball one way and all the five-year-olds go chase that ball. And it seems like that's what Blackfolio did. They kicked the ball one way and all <laughs> everybody's chasing the ball now. And well, sooner yeah. or later, one of those little five-year-olds is going to catch up to that ball and start kicking the ball the way that they want to, unless you keep kicking that ball. Yes. I mean, like, look, it's like what you said, like the, the analogy to kicking the ball is going to be innovation. Right. And we've, we've, you know, as long as we're first to market on the things that are important for the ecosystem, uh, you know, I think people will continue to follow us. I think people still like find a reason to use the app. You know, I mean, I don't think people realize like kind of the scale that we've gotten to, like we've got over 5 million downloads to date. And if you think about it, that's probably like what one fifth the size of like Coinbase. And so that, that alone is like I think a pretty significant, you know, it's something I'm I'm, I'm pretty proud of. I think it's pretty cool. It's something to be proud <laughs> of, man. And then you also have six thousand tokens and coins on the app right now. I just opened it yesterday uh, to check everything yeah. out, and six thousand. I think it's I think it's sixty seven hundred now. Actually. Oh, I so apologize. We, we, you added seven hundred overnight. 
No, we, we don't. We don't totally. We don't update it every day. You know, it's just like with, I think every time it hits like a new thousand, like we'll, we'll probably update it. But we, have, I mean, we have two full-time engineers who are adding exchanges every single day. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts, so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Wow. And adding coins, coins every single day. And that's all they do, right? Because like I said in the beginning, we were like, we just want to track every coin on every exchange and let people see it within a split second, right? Now, to give you a little idea about what happened, right? Because people often ask us, like, what are you going to do to compete with these other people who are doing, like, you know, API integration, desktop versions, and things like this? So, uh, let me give you a little bit of backstory. So, like, really, what what our next and big innovation after Blockfolio was was like to create Blockfolio Signal, like a communication channel directly from the token projects, mm-hmm. and we thought that this was really important. And so, keep in mind with Signal. We don't scrape Medium posts or Twitter f- posts or like you know stuff like the, these people. These, these like we have over 240 projects, maybe even close to 250 now. They're logging into a dashboard every single day and updating our users, you know, with what's going on. And mm-hmm. the reason why they're willing to do it is because like they realize our reach is so significant in the space, right? We're like almost an order of magnitude larger than you know uh the the next top portfolio tracking app i would say and so um signal like we came up with the idea back in middle of 2017 and kind of launched it in may of 2018 but the reason why this is significant is because what happened was is that in january of 2018 like the bubble burst basically right that was the beginning of the decline i think it was like end of january right? right and even then like as it was ramping up so aggressively I kind of thought that like it was eventually going to like burst because it always does, right? And I started thinking about it and I was like, wow, like we need to raise more money even after the $3 million round and we still had like, you know, we want there we needed to completely rebuild the app from the ground up because what Peter had built in his you know, like when he our technical co-founder when he was, you know, basically in his dorm room was not going to be sufficient to like continue growing as a business. We needed to figure out a way to get like you know, real talent at the company. And that means that we're probably gonna have to do another, another fundraising round. And, uh, so there's sort of like this, uh, feels like almost rambling, but like, no, no, you, no, no. Uh, tell the stories. They're interesting. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm so quiet because I'm just listening. You know, after you raise like $3 million, right? Like, uh, uh there are certain expectations that investors have on you. You know, you got to continue growth, continue innovating, continue find, finding ways to make your platform valuable. And then you'll be able to raise even more money later, you know, to continue to grow the business and deliver great things to, to end users, right? So we had two choices back in December as we were kind of exploring what we were going to do with this like $3 million, right? One of them is like, you know, a lot of people were demanding exchange integration, API integration. And you started seeing like a lot of the apps focus on that. I think uh, BitUniverse has it, uh, Delta has it, CoinStats might have it. There's probably like seven or eight apps out there that have it, right? And we were already talking about exchange integration probably even in the summer of 2017. So, but by the time that the, it kind of, it, where we had the money and we, we were able, you know, we're like, wow, we can make this decision. We can actually go after this now. We realized that the problem is, is that exchange integration is only going to service like 
most active traders, like the power traders, right? Mm-hmm. They're the ones that are like manually inputting, like that, that that suffer from having to manually input trades into Blockfolio, right? And and so it's like, do you really want to like shift a lot of resources in the company to a feature that might only service like five to ten percent of your users, maybe fifteen percent, right? Mm-hmm. And at the same time, we had this idea for Signal, and we're like, well, Signal is a communication platform, and you know, there was this toxic, growing toxic environment and Slack channels, all the phishing scams and all the bogus giveaways on Twitter. Right. And we were like, wow, like a direct line of like information from the, the inner circle of the token teams. Like, this is actually awesome. Like, I would love this because I'm always like working. I don't have time to go to all the Telegram channels and check on my investments. And uh, it'd be amazing to have it like all, you know, funneled to me and, you know, personalized in a feed based on what I hold in my portfolio. I 100% agree. So, I, was, I was looking at that and I, I was I was actually one, because I, I have, again, I haven't opened up the app for a while because everything's down. I don't want to see how much I'm bleeding all over the floor. Um, right. right. But Signal, have you ever thought about Signal being a standalone app? Because I think it's just a, it is a great idea. It's kind of like the Twitter of, for the companies to update their end users without all the, yeah. all the bullshit. Well, so before I go into that, like keep in mind, like this is like, Creating signal and bringing the token teams and giving them the chance to communicate with our users, we're, we're basically connecting all the major parts of the ecosystem. We're connecting the token teams with the end users, the speculators, with the exchanges, right? Mm-hmm. And that takes us from going from just being an app where you're just connecting the speculators with price information to being an actual network. And when you create an actual network, that does a couple of things, right? It, it allows investors to like see how you're going to create value for your company, right? That's one of the things. And so... And the other thing, too, is it really differentiated us in the market. I mean, at that time, I mean, we were the first ones to do this. And all of a sudden, like, we go in a bear market. And in the middle of a bear market, we ended up having a pretty significant Series A round. And it was because investors were excited about the fact, like, not only were we the first, like, really heavily adopted portfolio tracking app, now we created this, like, platform that's going to be extremely valuable potentially to the ecosystem. But the reason why I think it's going to be really valuable is because I think there's going to be a lot of really neat features that we can, like, provide token teams that are going to help them service their token economies right over time and uh and and i think you know we're still studying and, and talking to token teams and seeing what they want but we have some interesting ideas that we'll be pushing out into the, the ecosystem uh probably over the course of the next year or two well i think it's totally yeah. valuable because i mean how do we do it now we either go to their their telegram channels like you said or slack which is just you know a bunch of gibberish and you just don't want to deal with sifting through all the information you go to the reddits to see who's uh you know updating about the tokens or the company's you know progress um, which there's a lot of, you know, BS on there uh, from all those users. Or we go to Twitter. Their personal Twitter usually has pretty good updates. But then again, you have to go to each and individual token and open up their Twitter to see what's going on. Okay, look at my portfolio. What, what, what do I have? Oh, let's go to whatever, XYO, and, and check out what they're doing and, and what have you. And it's just time-consuming. This is amazing. Yeah, I mean, and it's, like, it's funny. It's like, it's like you just sort of described similarities to the beginning of like when we created Blockfolio. You'd have to go to each exchange and have a spreadsheet, figure out what's going on, and it's just a pain, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the thing is I think we've been, we've had pretty good, you know, instincts on like what are the most painful things that people are experiencing and like how can we leverage our platform to kind of help that out, right? And so it also like keep in mind like we're very, like I said, our product sensibilities have seemed to have been like, you know, on point. Uh, you know, we, we – I, I believe like, you know, this app is like insane. And like we, in bear markets, people open up the app six times a day and bull markets, people are opening it up like 15 times a day, our average daily mm. active user. Mm. Right. 
so I think I think one of the other things too is that this is probably part of the reason why we didn't go way heavy into like all the trader focused features just yet. I mean, we're eventually going to continue like deliver a lot of things that that the traders want, right? But part of it is too is like we want to make an app that's like easy for the newbie to come in and really kind of understand what's going on and get like a good experience about it and have an introduction to cryptocurrencies, right? Because those are the people that we need coming into the market, <laughs> right? One of the real problems is we need to find ways to push adoption. We didn't want to create an app that was like really scary. What, what is the data that you see? Because you just said like, oh, 15 active users uh, or, uh, per day in a bull and six in a bear. What is the other data tell you about the investors in the crypto space? We look at the same like general analytics that, that I'm sure like every basically mobile app that exists look at. We'll, we'll look at like some aggregated data. And also, I want to say for the record, like we don't look at anybody's individual portfolio data. Mm-hmm. I know we've been accused of that uh, in, the, in the Twitter sphere. Uh, nothing could be further from the truth. Like it's completely against the ethos of why I joined this ecosystem to begin with, right? But I'll tell you what's going on right now is like you know everyone's suffering. Our monthly active users have shrunken since January. Uh, I would say. If you were to chart it, it's probably not that far off from like the same from like if you were to chart Bitcoin, <laughs> right? It shouldn't be surprising in any way. In the bear markets, nobody wants to look at how much they're losing, right? right no, it, so it, people, I, you, you track you track Crypto One One's listenership from January to now. It is one hundred percent correlated with Bitcoin price. It's it's insane. It's, however, it how, is amazing, right? It's amazing. However, there it, there was a level off around uh, eight thousand dollar Bitcoin. So it, when it went down to thirty five, there wasn't a change in our listenership, which is good. But yeah, there right. was a there was a stabilization point. Yeah, I think I think uh, yeah, at a certain point, everything kind of levels off for maybe some of these services. You know, there's a baseline where people are still using it. It's like in the beginning, it's like the fat is getting trimmed away, right? Mm-hmm. And at a certain point, you're just like going into the muscle and the bone. <laughs> and it's just like it's not, it's not really – it's much tougher to get into. It's not really going away. I don't know. Maybe that's a bad analogy. No, but no, uh, We're going we're gonna to roll with it. It's staying in there. <laughs> yeah. I was just going to say like at, at maybe we're just into the diehards that are the holders that just believe in it so much. They're just not letting go of the app. They're not letting go. They're going to still continue to listen to the podcast. And even though the price is going down, they're just like, you know, I don't know. It's, it's, it's hard to say. Before, so. before I touch into some general questions, I, I think that your story um, and your journey with this is quite unique. I think that your insights and your intuition of developing your product to keep ahead of the space and with the uh, end user and understand what they want is, is quite uh, insightful. For entrepreneurs out there or innovators or whoever might be in the crypto space right now with small businesses that wish they had the kind of growth you had and are developing products, what would you tell them about looking forward to 2019 in innovation and entrepreneurship? Now, I'm not looking at this as the market or the, or the price, the coins or the, or the space, but as an individual, I have a business, I'm, I need to innovate, I need to look at my end user, and I'm an entrepreneur and I have a business in the crypto space, what would your advice be to them to continue their business to make sure that it is the best business they can make in 2019? Okay, so I can tell you right now like certain things, right? Like we're in a, we're in a full-on bear market. And it's probably if, you know, if I had to guess, this thing is going to last like a year <laughs> from where we're at today. Maybe like, you know, 8 to 12 months. It's like it's, it definitely feels nasty, right? You know, in a in a bear market, there's no evangelism in like you know your crypto products. There's no new entrants in coming into the market, right? Nobody's nobody's out there like bragging about Bitcoin and trying to get their friends to buy it, 
talking about like 20% they made last week, right? <laughs> but, 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 you know, as a company, you still have to create value and it's just the pool of people that like you're going to be able to pull in is dwindling. And I would say, I would say, that, you know, you got to think outside the box, right? It's no longer about like, you know, letting them come to you. Now it's going to be about like, you know, creative partnerships, probably, you know, alignments, making sure that you're, you know, you, you find other, other products in space that, you know, you align well with maybe, I don't know. I mean, mm-hmm. if I had to guess. So these, these are, these are things, uh, you know, that's easier said than done too, though. You know what I mean? Because, uh, the other, the other thing too is like, there's some shady businesses out there too, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? So you you got to be really careful about about your reputation, who you're aligning yourself with, so things well, like that. What, what do you think of the crypto space in general these days? I mean, do you think that it is? Are you are you motivated? Are you inspired? Are you bullish on the future of the crypto space? Of course, you might have to say yes because you have a, a portfolio app, <laughs> but. What yeah, would, no, yeah. I mean, I'll, dude, I'll always tell you the truth. I don't care if I have a portfolio tracking app or not, like if, even if it's like, you know. Uh, but I think uh, all the quick buck artists, are they've disappeared. <laughs> They're they out so fast, right? And now it's like back to the roots, man. Like I, I was in crypto in the bear market of 2015. It was so different back then. I mean, like I, I watched a ton of LA crypto companies just like go up in smoke. And very few of them made it through to the next bull market because none of them anticipated how long the bear market was going to be, mm-hmm. right? And that's kind of one of the things I, I would say is like, you know, it's like the bear market is always going to be worse than you think it is, hmm. right? Maybe that's just my personal perspective on it, but I didn't think it was going to last as long as it did in 2015, and it did. But uh, I think there's going to be a lot of shakeouts. There's going to be a lot of protocols that go up in smoke. There are a lot of teams that don't have the capital that, they need to sustain through the bear market. There were unfortunately a lot of these protocols that raised money that that kept it in ETH or Bitcoin, right? Which is a really bad move. And like mm-hmm. now they're they're gonna they're gonna they're gonna get squeezed as well. Yep. And I think uh, there are probably some pretty wise ones. I, even like Status, who you know they they raised a hundred million back in uh, in that June um, ICO that we we did marketing partnership with them. I, I believe. They disclosed that they like you know turned something like forty percent of that into fiat, which was a really smart move, right? Mm. So I think I think uh, I think it's going to be a really interesting year ahead. I think you're going to start seeing uh, a lot of value shopping, a lot of people that are desperate, a lot of mergers and acquisitions. People can like buy crypto companies for cheap mm-hmm. uh, consolidation in the industry because there's so much professional money, and they want to make sure that you know at least something is salvaged. Yeah, so I think it'll be interesting to see what happens over the next year. I, I would actually not be surprised if we see like protocol mergers, <laughs> like hostile takeovers and protocols too. Different, th- interesting stuff. I think is going to happen. I think I think we're just starting to like touch on it. Like, I think you know, consensus just laid off fifteen percent of their staff, and I mm-hmm. think that was really surprising to a lot of people. So you're going to start seeing more and more stories like this. It'll be very interesting to see how the next year plays out. I mean, I'll, t- I'll tell you from a from my point of view is like we operate in ETH over here, and like through through the past year, it, it's honestly I I, don't, I didn't know how to manage myself either. Like you didn't expect to be you know get an ETH and it was nine hundred bucks and think like okay now you have a couple of edits uh, for the podcast under your belt because you have that nine hundred dollars in ETH, and then by the end of the month you that nine hundred ETH is turned into. 478 F and you're just like what the hell happened and where's my operating capital it's just slipping away and it's not really honestly there's still no really practical way to use cryptocurrency 
as a um, a, a business facilitator, and, and stable coins are not the easiest answer for anybody either. <laughs> so it's, it's yeah, a, it's I a mean, sticky situation for these people who ra- rose, raise money in F. <laughs> I mean, what do you do? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like we got to wait out like till the next bull run happens, right? And the next bull run is gonna it's gonna have higher standards than the prior bull runs. Like the one in 2013, it was sort of like the fantasy of like what Bitcoin could be. And that's why, you know, the run up happened to like $1,300, like, right? But that fantasy hasn't become a reality, <laughs> right? It's 2018 and I still can't go to my pizza place down the street and buy a slice of pizza with Bitcoin. Yeah, no, right? I, I don't think it's and ever it, going to happen, honestly, but. It, it's five years later, right? And then, and then you had like a real use case with Ethereum and kind of like the fundraising doing ICOs with Ethereum is actually more efficient and fair than uh, traditional fundraising efforts or, or kind of like the ways that, that people uh, were fundraising prior to cryptocurrencies. And, you know, that obviously got squashed by a lot of the, the regulatory burden that came afterwards. Right. Right. It's still, it's still a great model. I mean, you just have to do a, an STO. Right. And so, yeah, people are kind of like figuring workarounds. Right. But then like, uh, I think what's gonna like what we're waiting for is some application of blockchain technology that is significantly better post uh, blockchain than pre blockchain that has really great usability because without really great usability it's like it's not gonna work if just like you know the crypto ecosystem or the people that love this thing like you need to have this thing actually go mainstream right. <laughs> right? I don't mean to put it. I mean, I, I put stuff in such simple terms, you know. Like, I, I'm not as articulate as, as as a lot of the other crypto elite and stuff like that. But I will say, like, we're waiting for that that killer use case that's super easy to use. That's actually easier to use than, you know, real world stuff that exists today. Right. And uh, and that might take a while. I mean, uh, crypto is still honestly very clunky. Clunky. Yep. No, agreed. Agreed. Is there anybody in the, in the in the space that you're looking at right now that you respect in the crypto space that you know you're moving forward? as a business as a as a business over owner in the crypto space that you kind of like gravitate to that person and say yeah when this guy spe- says something let's pay attention there are a couple of guys that i massively respect right one of them is actually really fortunate it's one of our investors named jeff morris jr and he is a director of product and revenue over at tinder you know talk about people who know product market fit right over at tinder uh, you said yeah oh okay he's over he's he's, he's over at tinder hey, tell, tell him i Another said thank guy. you other guys that i think are super smart in the space that i I seem to gravitate towards what they're writing what they're doing like another guy his name is avichal garg uh at electric capital he used to run product at facebook until 2006 uh it seems like every time i talk to him like he pretty much blows my mind at like his insights in the crypto space uh he's a very data-driven guy He, he used to run product at facebook i believe until 2016 and then uh let me see here who who else? You know, maybe a slightly controversial guy, like his younger kid, Amin Soleimani at Spank Chain. He's okay. like he's working on on state channels. He's actually working on like how to make transactions much more usable, like like much better user experience. Uh, I just I just saw know. him at Singapore um, the, over the weekend. That kid's bright. He's he's one of the smartest I've met, and uh, I like him a lot too. I mean, yeah, he has risky content, but like he's a, he's a highly principled kid, slightly twisted. But highly principled. Uh, yeah, I like talking to him. He's he's a solid guy. You know, other guys. You know, there's uh, Tony Shang out there. He he writes interesting stuff. He runs. Uh, he's the the product guy over at Decentraland. 
yeah, there's always the obvious ones like Vitalik and Joseph Poon, stuff like that, right? So, who is there anybody that you purposely don't follow? I mean, I know a lot of people don't say I don't, I dislike him or I uh, don't respect or whatever, but I think that anybody who's been in the in the space for a long time, I mean, I've only been in this space for about a couple of years, and there's people I, I was following be, to begin with that's dropped off, and I don't really follow much anymore because yeah, I just don't see them being r- relatable anymore. Is there anybody that that you see in the space right now that has a big voice that you just stopped listening to? I'm trying to think. I mean, like, look, I'm never going to name anybody by names specifically, like on this, but let's just say they're definitely bad actors in the space. There are guys that just lead people down the wrong path. There are guys that say that they're very pro ecosystem or pro users or, you know, really, you know, supportive of the technology, but all they really give a shit is about making money. Right. There, there are plenty of examples. I'm sure anybody listening, if they're in the space more than six months, there'll be a number of examples that probably come to mind, you know, mm-hmm. all those guys, fuck those guys, <laughs> all those guys that you're thinking about. Seriously. Well, I, I think, there's a lot of them. I Most of them are d- disappearing right now, but yeah, I mean, it's like, uh, you know, and I, I, I think I asked this question. I, I really hope a lot of times people don't say, I'm not going to name names. And then a lot of, sometimes people do. One of the names that I get often is, is McAfee. That guy's just insane. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's interesting he's almost, because like he's almost he's almost like a cartoon character, right? <laughs> <laughs> he was he was on the show a, a, a couple months ago, and you know everybody's like up until that point, like when, when I asked that question, people would say McAfee because of what he either tweets they said or he got paid a half million dollars to send a tweet to show an ICO and things like that, and and then when after I had him on the show and I talked to him, I'm like, I, I like him, I like him, you know. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was it was quite. Well, McAfee is an interesting guy because honestly, I think he's like sort of pretty much insane, right? And so like he's not even like the kind of guy I'm talking about because he's so far out there, right? Because like you're not going to go to an insane asylum and somebody is acts insane and then you're like going to get mad at him. You're never going to get mad at the insane guy at the insane asylum, right? But there are guys out there who know what they're doing and they're being like super shady and they're like they're only – yeah, it's just like – I mean maybe McAfee is one of those guys. I don't know. But like maybe he's not. Who knows? I, I don't know. But I, uh, I, If someone's going to offer me a, a half a million dollars to send a tweet and that was my going rate, I, as, at this point in my life, hell yeah. I don't know. Let's put it this way. If somebody offered you half a million dollars to shill something to your audience that you knew was going to make them lose money, would you do it? Probably not. And half of I mean, my audience will probably call me an idiot and half of them will go, that's, that's pretty stand-up and then I'll be broke. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, people don't realize it's actually, like, it's a difficult thing to do, mm-hmm. <laughs> especially in a bear market, you know. These are tough things. So, I don't know. I, I, I think I've told my audience this many times, and I know you've, you've, you've come up with it because of your um, success with Blackfolio. But, you know, people have offered, you know, multiple Bitcoins to show something or come on the show and especially during 2017 and the amount of F in Bitcoin I could have made <laughs> from having these guys on the show was, it was insane. And, you know, we never took it, but at the same time, it's one of those things is it's, it's a personal struggle that you deal with because you know, you need the money, you know, the money's right there, but you know, if you do it, not only are you going to, you're, you're, you're kind of killing a little bit of your soul, but you might lose your business because of it. It's the devil, man. <laughs> I'm not religious, but isn't that what they talk about? Now, we had the same thing, man. When we did that first ad for status, floodgates opened. And like over the course of the next 12 months, we probably got shilled by like, or hit up, sorry, hit up by, a, I'm not exaggerating, like 200 projects. We turned down, again, this is not exaggeration, $20 million in revenue. But we made the right choice. And the reason why I know we made the right choice is because we had a sterling reputation. 
like people subconsciously knew that we weren't like selling out and we now have like an incredible roster of venture capital investors that are super supportive that will go to bat for us that will like they want to help us like succeed and if you look at the roster of companies that these guys invest in if you're doing anything shady in any way like they're just not going to touch you they see it as risk i mean yes there's a mutual aligned interest there right but it turned out to be the right decision because you know that's why you know, I, th- I think I think we managed to get some some really smart people behind us out that contributed to it, and I'm sure, like you know, with you, I'm sure there was, you know, probably specific examples where this this turned out, you know, to be a good business decision as well as like a good ethical decision. Right? Absolutely, absolutely. I don't regret yeah. any any lost Bitcoin uh, because of those decisions, but I, I think that you know, grappling with that decision at the time is you know really. It, it's, it's something that you really struggle with because it is like, okay, I'm doing this to make money. I am not making money. Here is money. What do I do? Do I not make money? Continue not to make money, or do I take this money? And you really yeah. just have to figure out, like, you know, who you are and uh, what you want to do with the business and the long term goals. Because if you don't look at the long term, then yeah, you you lose it. Life throws challenges at you. If money is definitely one of them. You know, crypto 101 is branded itself as the first stop for people getting into the space so they can hear 101 information from you know amazing people like you and others to help them on their crypto investment journey this is not financial advice but their crypto journey um and learning about different you know ideologies of blockchain and uh, projects in the space and people and you know kind of where this whole movement is going if this was the first episode a new person was listening to coming into the space what would Edward tell them about the space? Get ready, get kicked in the balls. <laughs> so, 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 hey, if you listen to this episode this far, there you go. Turn it off and come back in 2020. There you go. Because it's it's if you're in the space long enough, it's going to happen. And it's ironic that I'm the one saying this because I, you know, help come up with the most used portfolio tracking app in the space. But like, research the tech, figure out ways that you can help. You know the projects. You know how can how can you help make their ecosystems uh, better? You know how can you help bring adoption to their protocols? Do a bunch of homework. You know it's not really all just about price. You know and like I said, it's ironic I say that. And we hope to take Blockfolio in a direction where people realize that you know, you know, price tracking is just one aspect mm-hmm. of the app. There are going to be other ones that we think are going to be really valuable for everyone. And just, uh, you know, brace yourself for the volatility because it's, it's, I think we're it's still going to be a while before it goes away. Edward, before I ask this last question of the day, I want to say thank you very much for agreeing to come on the show and talking about not only the, the space in general, Blackfolio, and giving us, you know, an insight to, well, a person that is creating a business and created a very successful business and product for the space, uh, empowering a lot of people to, you know, easily track their their holdings. Um, thank you. Thank you so much for having me on. Always happy to, you know, talk and share about like, you know, what we went through a Blockfolio, challenges that the company had, challenges the ecosystems had, hopefully get the word out, get more people excited. Right on, right on. Last question I have for you, sir. What three songs would you like on the Crypto 101 Spotify playlist? Man, this was the one I was like stumped on because it's just been so long since I listened to music. But I would say if there's one song, I'd like put the song on by Justice called Stop. You got it. Uh, I I don't got three songs for you. I got one for you. It's a good one. One good song is better than three shitty songs. So thank you very much for coming on the show, sir. Thanks so much for the time. I really appreciate it. (laughs) 
Thank you very much for listening to this episode of Crypto 101. Edward, if you're listening, thank you very much for coming on the show. And to all, happy new year. I hope you have a killer 2019. And remember, go over to YouTube, Crypto 101 with Matthew Aaron, to hear the behind the scenes of these episodes. And I do get delayed in putting up those videos. I am very sorry. They're coming up as soon as possible. In our next episode of Crypto 101, we have an ICO 101 episode with Unity Chain, Unity Chain 101. I'm excited to hear Aaron Paul in the new year, and I know you're going to enjoy. Before we go, ApogeeCrypto.com, A-P-O-G-E-E Crypto.com, the best place for your real-time prices, CryptoNews.com for your news. And thank you very much to Harry Foster for editing this episode. We'll see you in future episodes. Happy New Year. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get 16-ounce packs of flavorful Angus 90% Lean Ground Sirloin for $4.99 each with a digital coupon. Then buy two, get two free on 12 packs of delicious Coca-Cola, Pepsi, or 7-Up, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.